It is said that on Veterans Day, November the 11th, 1963, that uh, President John F. Kennedy visited Arlington Cemetery uh, to pay his respects to the uh, to Americans fallen, uh, America's fallen heroes. And as he gazed over the uh, rolling Virginia hillside from Arlington House, it's recorded that he said this, It is so beautiful that I could stay here forever. And two weeks later, he returned in a flag-draped coffin. Supposedly, his favorite passage from the Bible was Solomon's words found in our text tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And look how ironic it all is. Verse 2 says, a time to be born and a time to die. It was also in 1963, and... Uh, some of you will certainly remember this. It was also in 1963 that our nation was singing this passage to a contemporary beat. Some of you may remember, this is a rather obscure version of it, Pete Seeger's uh, adaptation of, of Solomon's words as sung, turn, turn, turn. Most of you will probably be familiar with the bird's rendition. To everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season turn, turn, turn. That was good. All right, go home and YouTube it. All right. Some of you, some of you that were hippies back then. Diane, why are you pointing at your brother and sister-in-law? Just so happens that who came to my mind too. <laughs> but they weren't about to let off a secret that they knew anything about that song whatsoever. But we all know better. Amen. So these words of Solomon have been appreciated by many people down through the years, though not always for their spiritual value. Um, the words in these first eight verses, honestly, um, are some of the most poetic uh, in all of God's Word. Now, in the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, these verses, if you've been with us throughout this series, these verses follow on the heels of Solomon's opinion about the emptiness of living the under-the-sun life. To this point, Solomon admits having tried everything to fill the void that now existed since forsaking God. He tried laughter, he tried liquor, he tried luxury, he tried learning, he tried labor, but in the end he concluded that his experimentation with these things was nothing but a great, huge exercise in futility. He concluded that trying to find heaven on earth without living for God is like trying to capture the wind in your hand. 
In these eight verses, Solomon presents 28 statements in 14 couplets. There are 14 negative statements. There are 14 positive statements. And they all fall into three separate categories. The first uh, describes the effect of time on our bodies. The second focuses on our souls. And the third deals with our spirits, body, soul, and spirit. And for those who are counting, and some of you will, because I know you, and as soon as I give this number, you are going to be on the search, and you are going to, if, if I'm off one, you will come to me after church, you say, preacher, no, that's not right. So I'm ready for it, I'm good, okay? But the word time is mentioned 29 times in these eight verses, so go. Let's first talk about time in our body. Chapter 8, verses 1 through, or excuse me, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the sun. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. So Solomon begins with the sobering thought that both birth and death have their appointed times. As for a certain time of birth, um, we know that there are a number of times, a number of examples in the Scripture when a person's birth was predicted and announced. The birth of Isaac is a, is a good example, a good case in point. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 21, God said this concerning his birth, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And then in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1, it happened. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. So there was a time, a specific set time to be born. Then there's this from 2 Kings chapter 4. And he said about this season... According to the time of life, in other words, nine months from now, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. So again, there's a time to be born, and some of those times were predicted with absolute accuracy. And I think I would be amiss tonight if I didn't reference the best example of them all from the New Testament, the book of Galatians, chapter 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time 
was come, when the time was perfect, when the time was right, when the time was just what God wanted it to be, he sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. God set the time to send his son to earth as our redeemer. And then we think about death and a a set time for death. And the Bible is as clear about death as it is about life. Job asked this question in verse 1 of chapter 7. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? And then we find the answer a few chapters later when we read these words. Seeing his days, look at this church, seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds. And look at those last three were four words that he cannot pass. What does that mean? It means this. God knows when I'm going to die. And nothing's going to change that. Not a thing in the world is going to change that. It's going to happen. And, and I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to live one millisecond longer than God has appointed for me. Now, I don't know when that is, and you don't know when that is. And I'll just say this, if you're here tonight and you're lost without Christ, it's that very thought right there that ought to motivate you to receive Christ. Because we don't know. We have no idea. But there is a set time. And it's going to happen. And there's nothing we can do about it. Perhaps the most direct scripture reference or scriptural proof that there is a time to die is, of course, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And as it is written, uh, excuse me, and as it is appointed, listen, some of you, I know we joke and say you're going to be late for your own funeral. You won't be. You may be late for everything else in this world, but you will not miss this appointment with death. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And then we go on, and following birth and death is planting and plucking up that which is planted. And what an appropriate time to address this with wheat harvest now in full swing, what those Men and families uh, planted some nine-ish months ago or so, they are now, even as I stand here and speak tonight, plucking it up, if you will. Planting and then harvesting that which has been planted is God's way of providing the nourishment needed by our physical bodies. So don't ever criticize a farmer with your mouth full. Amen. As for killing and healing, that is the natural process that our bodies go through. Even as we sit here tonight, our bodies are in the process of dying at this very moment. Even as I speak, the physical process of killing and healing is taking place. According to researchers, The body replaces itself with a largely new set of cells every seven to ten years. 
And some of our most important parts are revamped even more rapidly. When the body becomes infected, there's a time to kill the infection. I see Taryn here uh, this morning or tonight. She was sick on Sunday, really sick on Sunday. And I don't know if she took something or not, but she's here. And now she spread it to her husband. And now her husband's sick. And, and there, there's things that come in and, and uh, medicines that we can take to kill off the infection in time uh, or in order to provide a time for healing. And as some have found out, and as some are finding out, and as some will find out in the future, there is a time for building up the body and there is a time breaking, a breaking down time in the physical body. Now you determine which one you're in right now. We build up our bodies in the early years of our lives and then we, they start breaking down as we get older. Thus glasses and hearing aids and, and dentures and uh, new knees and new elbows and uh, all kinds of new stuff. Someone said, we know we're getting old or older when the type gets smaller and the steps get higher and the voices get softer and the muscles get weaker and our medicine cabinets get larger. Amen. Let's go to verses 4 and 5. Time and our soul. That's time in our body. Let's talk about time in our soul. Time to weep. A time to laugh. A time to mourn. And a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. Here's the truth tonight. God created us as emotional beings. Therefore, there is a time to cry, and there is a time to laugh. And hopefully there will be more times of laughter than of crying. And the Bible speaks of both, laughter and tears. And we know these verses well. Proverbs 15 and verse 13 tell us that a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. I'm telling you right now, Tiffany's living at the house while Kelby's out in, in Washington State and, and Huck and Leroy are there and and I'm telling you, it wouldn't matter how grouchy or grumpy I woke up. If I walked out in the living room and Leroy is there, I'm telling you, that boy has a smile a mile wide. And it's always going on. He is always smiling. A merry heart. Uh, making a cheerful countenance. He makes his pawpaw smile. I guess probably every morning this week I've walked out and I've gotten on my hands and knees and I crawled to where he was on the floor. It's silly. But the boy just does that to me. Little chubby cheeks, that big smile. He's awesome. And in Proverbs 70, 22, we're told that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I mean, listen, laughter really is good for the soul. But unfortunately, life doesn't always provide us 
with opportunities to laugh. John 11.35, Jesus wept. Job said, mine eye poureth out tears unto God. The psalmist said in Psalm 42, he said, my tears have been my meat day and night. But thankfully, there's coming a day when God's going to wipe away all tears. Amen. Now, it's pretty easy to understand the connection between weeping and mourning and laughing and dancing as they relate to both joy and sorrow. But, but what about this casting away of stones and this gathering of stones how does that relate to us emotionally the uh, holy land as we often refer to it is a very rocky land uh, before they can ever start plowing and and planting their fields farmers uh, must first clear away the stones if you wanted to really hurt someone who you consider to be your enemy, and I'll show you an example of this in a minute, if you really wanted to, to hurt someone who you consider to be your enemy, you would fill his field with stones. Listen to this from 2 Kings chapter 3. This is with respect to the defeat of the Moabites. And you shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water, and watch this, and mar every good piece of land with stones. And verse, that's verse 19, verse 25, and they beat down the cities, and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone. Now, I was thinking about this, and I mean, honestly, it seems at times that that all life does is try to hurt us by casting stones into our field, if you will. And when that happens, we, have, we can do one or two things emotionally. We can either shut down, which sometimes people do, or we can purpose that with God's help. We're going to gather up those stones and we're going to build something out of them. You see, stones are neither good nor bad. It all depends on what you do with them. Now, as again, to how the decision to embrace and not embrace fits into the context of our emotions. Here's my take. You may have a different take, and that's fine. But there is a time when we need to embrace others who are hurting as a way of, of showing our support for them. That's part of the blessing of being part of a church body. You have a church family who weeps when you weep and rejoices when you rejoice. And that's why people need to be part of a, a local church body. That's part of, of what it's all about. And there is a time when, when we uh, should embrace one another in our hurts and in our sorrows. But there's also a time when we ought to refrain from embracing 
when our support would be misunderstood and would be tantamount to complicity with something wrong. Case in point, and I understand this is a very simplified illustration of this, but yesterday morning, um, Katie wanted to give Huck a hug because his mom was taking him to the zoo, and him and his brother to the zoo in Garden City. And he was a little ugly to Grammy. And so his mom made him sit down on the cold, hard floor. <laughs> that loudest slap was hers. Papa was in the bedroom, and I heard him crying. And so I come out, I said, what, what's going on? And so she explained to me what happened. And there's my grandson, and he's sitting on the floor, and he's crying. And my papa heart, how many of you had a papa heart? Yeah, my papa heart wanted to pick him up. But I knew that wouldn't be the right thing to do because then I would be sending the message, hey, it's, okay, it's cool, it's okay to be ugly with Grammy. He didn't mean to be ugly with Grammy, come on. But my picking him up, are you with me? My picking him up would have been tantamount to saying, ah, it's okay, you can be ugly with Grammy when you want to. And so Papa had to refrain, if you will, from embracing. And, you know, I think sometimes we, we don't exercise good judgment uh, because sometimes people bring sorrow on themselves. Come on. With poor choices and bad decisions. And sometimes embracing them and loving on them and and babying them and sympathizing them is sending the message to them that it's okay, it's, it's all right. Now I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. I, I'll be honest, I'm pretty fired up right now about the fact that there have been five law enforcement officers killed in the last eight days. Pretty passionate about that. And it really aggravates me when some knucklehead on Twitter or Facebook embraces them, if you will, and says, way to go. <laughs> you don't need to be embracing those knuckleheads. I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. But there is a time to embrace, but there's a time to refrain from embracing. And then let's get into uh, the last set of uh, verses here, Ecclesiastes 3, 6 through 8. A time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. That'd be a good place to nudge your wife there, guys. A time to cast away some of that stuff. Time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Unfortunately, in our materialistic society, 
There seems to be overmuch concern on our part when it comes to getting and keeping a glimpse into somebody's garage or a glimpse into their shed or a glimpse into the car I saw earlier this week. I was turning right on to Tucker, go to Walmart and turn right on to Tucker off of Kansas, and there was this little gray compact car in the turning lane getting ready to turn south on the pancake, or on the Kansas, excuse me, and if I'm lying, I'm dying. There was enough room in that car for that lady that was driving, and there was not an inch more room in that car. If I'm lying, I'm dying. It was piled up to the ceiling, to the windshield, all the way back, all the back seats. Hey, lady, there's a time to throw away. Amen. So on a personal level, there is a time to get, and we all enjoy those times. But there's also times when we need to get rid of. And the same could be said about our life spiritually. There are times when it's necessary that we tear away, that we cast away and lose some things in our lives spiritually. Things like sinful habits and wrong relationships and bad attitudes and lame excuses. And then we replace those with habits of godliness and good relationships and better attitudes and accepting responsibility for our actions rather than making excuses. There is a time to get and there's a time to cast away. And then Solomon says this, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Translated, here's my version. Sometimes we need to speak up Sometimes we need to <laughs> shut up. That's the Prater translation. Now, all, my, my wife just cringed. Our grandkids are in here. Well, there is that time. Zip it. Solomon knew all about the assets and liabilities of words. He said in Proverbs 18, 21, and we know this well, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Solomon was constantly, constantly putting forth the challenge to pay attention to words of wisdom and instruction. Pastor Tyler has done a, a masterful job, in my opinion, thus far in our study of Proverbs on Sunday nights, of, of breaking down Solomon's teaching and then helping us to apply it wisely to our lives. And if you've been missing Sunday nights, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Brother Tyler is, is killing it with his Proverbs series. Something else that Solomon does in Proverbs is warn us against too much talking and getting in trouble because of it. Here are a few examples. 
Proverbs 17, verse 27, 28, He that hath knowledge spareth his words. And a man of understanding is an excellent spirit. Even a fool, listen to this, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Proverbs 13, 3, he that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. And one other, Proverbs 21, 23, whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Can somebody say amen right there? Amen. Am I the only person in here that's ever gotten in trouble because of what I said? Thank you. This whole issue of speaking up and not speaking up, really, listen, seriously, it all boils down to maturity and spirituality. It's all determined by one's walking in the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. Those times when I have said something and it's gotten me in trouble is because I've been walking in the flesh and wasn't letting the Spirit of God control what I had to say. The next couplet deals with love and hate, and we're about to wrap this up. People sometimes think it, it's strange that those who say they worship a God of love could actually think it okay to hate. But the Bible, I think, helps us strike the balance between the two when it says in Psalm 97 and verse 10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Listen, there's, there's nothing contradictory about loving God and hating abortion. No contradiction there at all. We read in Psalm 119, 104, Thy precepts, or through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, because I understand what's right, and because I understand biblical truth, I hate every false way. So again, there's love and there's hate. And in Psalm 119, verse 163, I hate abhorring lips, but by law do I love. So again, there's no, uh, there's no contradiction between uh, love and hate. You can love God and as the psalmist said, hate evil, and, and we ought to hate evil. So, again, there's certainly time to love that which is good, hate that which is not. And then this passage ends by reminding us that though we long for peace, war is sometimes necessary. Peter Muhlenberg was a pastor in Virginia. And in 1774, he was elected to the Virginia legislature and was present when Patrick Henry proclaimed, give me liberty or give me death. He was so moved that he joined George Washington's army. On a bitterly sad Sunday morning, he resigned from his church 
and he preached his farewell sermon. And he read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. Looking up, he said, there's a time to preach and there's a time to pray. But there's also a time to fight. And that time has now come. He then flung off his ministerial robe and underneath he was wearing the uniform of a militia colonel. What a great morning that would have been. He recruited other men from his church and they later became known as the German regiment under his command. Now I'm I'm wrapping it up here. Though I do not like war and, and I would dare say that there's not a person in here tonight that likes war, or the loss of life that, that comes a result of it. But even in the Bible says there is a time. There is a time to go to war. I think the point that Solomon makes in this poetic yet powerful passage of Scripture is that all of, all of life unfolds under the ever-watchful eye of divine providence. This is not fatalism, nor does it rob us of our our freedom or responsibility. We still have the freedom to choose how we respond to various situations and circumstances of life, but we must also be willing to take responsibility for the choices that we make.